Uh, let's pray real fast. Lord, we are asking for your Holy Spirit to fill us up in a fresh way to understand your word and the power that is in it. We pray that you would be exalted uh, as we're giving attention to it, that you would speak to us, but that you would glorify yourself above everything else. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, I've always been that guy who never really had favorites, right? I never have, I don't have a favorite food, I don't have a favorite song, I don't have a favorite movie, I don't have a favorite person, sorry. If you thought it was you, it's just not. Um, I just, I don't like picking favorites. Uh, and it's really the same with the scripture, you know, I never had like a life verse or uh, this is the book of the Bible uh, that's, you know, just the one for me. But with that being said, if you need to pick a chunk of scripture and say, I want to I wanna be able to live the Christian life well, the next four books of the Bible that we're going to study are like the ones. They're the powerhouse. All right? it's, it's 20 chapters, four books. We're going to get through it in about 10 weeks. Um, these are just like, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, but when I get to Galatians, I just start getting excited because I know it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you put those four books together, and it's just, uh, man, it's Jesus Christ, it's the grace of God, it's there's nothing you can do because God already loves you so vastly that you can't even picture it, and here's practical, you know, so let all that you do be done in love, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, um, it, you know, it's here's what God has done, so here's your appropriate response. There's so much in these next four books about how we respond to who God is. And it's really, um, I think it's just, it's just well placed in the scriptures. We're going to get into it, but you know, Galatians is probably written between the time that Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians. Um, the, just for what it's worth, the books of the Bible aren't sorted in chronological order. Uh, when we get to the letters of Paul, they're sorted by length. So you've got his letters to the churches, longest to shortest, and then his letters to individuals, longest to shortest, and then you've got general epistles to the church by people other than Paul, longest to shortest. And then you've got the book of Revelation, which sort of is freestanding. Um, so Galatians, you know, in the order, it actually would probably belong between First and Second Corinthians. But we find ourselves just going through in the order that's been given to us. We're at the book of Galatians. And I think it's really appropriate coming out of where we've been in Second Corinthians. And so we're just going to dive into it. Chapter 1, verse 1. I say that. I just completely lied. Chapter 1, verse 1, before we get into it, these are the next, you know, several weeks, the whole time. We say this a lot, but it bears repeating. And that is that what gets said on a Wednesday night, what gets said on a Sunday morning, is, uh, is important. It's, important. it's an important part of the health of a church and the health of an individual Christian, but it is not a replacement for your personal time in the Word of God. It is a great addition. It's a great supplement. It will not sustain you. And so if you are not in the Word of God and you're just hoping that coming on Sundays and Wednesdays is going to cover you, it's not. You're just going to dry up. You're going you're to feel that emptiness, that lack of power of God. There's just going to be an absence that you will be missing and it's going to impact your ability to walk in victory over sin, to be an effective witness, to just experience the joy and the fellowship of the Lord. So what we're doing is going through the Word. But understand that there's no way that I can possibly uh, explain in 45 minutes the fullness of the first two chapters of Galatians. It's just not going to happen. 
And so the goal is to give you a good overview so that you understand where, where it's at, where you're coming from, how it connects to the rest of the scriptures when you are in it in your own, right? And so I would just encourage you, you know, we're going to be shooting um, most of this year. We're going to be doing about two, two chapters a week on Wednesday nights. We'll be doing three for some of it. So as soon as we wrap up tonight, you know what we're going to be covering next Wednesday night, right? Galatians 3 and 4. The week after that, it's probably going to be Galatians 5 and 6. So if you want two chapters of the New Testament, take about six minutes to read. So I would encourage you, read it. If you read Galatians 3 and 4, Thursday through Wednesday of next week, you're going to be so much better equipped to hear and sort of process what you were going through. But also, the Lord's going to have an opportunity to speak to you on a really deep level. If you are, okay, I read it. Now I want to read it again. Now I want to understand it. Now I want to see it applied to my life. So don't just say, oh, I'll show up and see what we're going through. Come expectantly, right? Show up to the Word of God ready to hear, ready to write down what he's going to say to you because God wants to say something. So chapter 1, verse 1, here we go. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul is, you know, he said he's writing this probably between when he wrote First and Second Corinthians. Some people think it might have been earlier. But Paul's making the same point in here that he does in the beginning of First Corinthians, which is, I'm an apostle, but I'm not an apostle by my own making. I'm not an apostle by my own awesomeness. I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he says this is to the churches of Galatia. Galatia is a region. It's not a specific church. Uh, if you read in the book of Acts, when Paul's at Iconium and Lystra, these are some of the churches in the region of Galatia. So this is probably a handful of churches that he's writing to. And he says, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And grace and peace. We say this every time we get to this in Paul's letters. Paul always begins his letters this way, unless the only exception is when he says grace, mercy, and peace. Because you can't have peace until you have grace. And Paul here is, he's saying, you know, once you experience the grace of God, you can experience the peace of God. Peace is a vain hope. Our world is hoping for peace. We're trying for peace, right? Why can't we all get along? Why can't we have world peace? And we have, you know, all these things that are designed and spending billions of dollars in trying to generate peace. And it is all a waste. Because if you do not have the grace of God, you will not have peace. Right? So grace and peace. From who? From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. All right? Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, who gave himself, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God. That right there is the summary of the entire book. That's the summary of grace. What is grace? We talk about grace. We say it's, it's sometimes, you know, the acronym is God's riches at Christ's expense is a, is a helpful way to think of grace, all right? It's all the richness of Jesus Christ gifted to us through what he did on the cross. Not earned by us, gifted to us. And that's grace. Grace is getting the thing you don't deserve, getting the goodness you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the judgment that you do deserve. But grace is 
is God saying, hey, not only am I not going to send you to hell, I'm actually going to give you an abundance of blessings. I'm going to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you fellowship with Christ. I'm going to give you the promise of eternal life. I'm going to give you my words so that you can have a roadmap for how to live out the Christian life now that I've saved you. It's, it's, it's all the goodness and the fullness of God offered to us for free. And so Paul is just summing up, and he says, Amen. It's the end of his thought. And, and it's, Galatians has really the shortest introduction of any of Paul's books, because this is not a friendly, hey, how's it going, just want to check in and say hi kind of a book. Paul is writing to say, guys, you are on seriously dangerous theological ground, and we're going to fix this, all right? It's, it's very, it's, um, it's a different tone than 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a very corrective letter, but it's very corrective in sort of the externals. Hey, don't get drunk at the pitch-ins, right? Hey, quit ha- celebrating the fact that you have people walking in sexual immorality in your church. Hey, quit abusing the gifts of the Spirit. It's very external. This book is very corrective on an internal level. Hey, you need to understand for your salvation what does it mean that it's a free gift. And hey, you need to quit starting to think that you can earn your salvation by any other means. So he says, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says, I marvel. I cannot wrap my head around the fact that you are turning away so quickly from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now, historically, what's happening in in this region is you have Jewish Christians who are coming in and saying, hey, we are super glad that Jesus is saving the Gentiles. We think that's great. We're super happy for you. Now that you've gotten saved, here's the law. And if you really want to understand the full depth of being a Christian, you need to keep the Old Testament law. There's certain rules that God expects you to live by. And Paul says, that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That is not the gift that has been offered to you. That is a different gospel, and Paul takes this seriously. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So it doesn't matter where this comes from. If, if there is ever an explanation of Christianity or how you get to heaven that involves anything other than God has offered it to you for free, it's a false gospel. If it involves you sending me money, if it involves, hey, I had a vision, if it does anything, no matter, no matter what it is or how nicely it's packaged, if the invitation is, hey, you need to follow Jesus and do this to get to heaven, it's a false gospel. And Paul says, let that person be accursed. Paul takes this really seriously. Let that person go to hell, Paul says. And we sometimes get a little bit, we kind of squirm a little bit because Paul, you know, we, Christianity is supposed to be nice and Jesus is this, you know, nice looking you know, we've seen pictures, right? He's the nice white guy with red hair who holds sheep. Um, 
And, and that's really not necessarily what Christianity is. It's a free gift. But the Lord takes very seriously when someone would abuse that gift. And so Paul says, guys, it doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's any gospel other than what I've preached to you, it is not the gospel. And so you have religions today, like Islam. Prophet Muhammad received a vision from an angel. I don't really doubt that he received a vision from a supernatural being. Not, I don't have a problem admitting that at all. But it's not the gospel. Joseph Smith, who became the founder of Mormonism, received a vision from an angel. I think he probably did receive a vision from a supernatural being. But it wasn't an angel, and it wasn't the gospel of Christ. It was a different gospel. And so you'll, you'll, there are religions that say, hey, you know what? We're, we're Christians. We believe the same thing. All, you know, we believe Jesus is a great guy. You just need to follow Jesus and our rules. And that's when you say, no, no, no. This is not the same thing. We are not talking the same language here, right? It might be the same words. might be the same vibe. We might even look alike. We might like the same movies. But we are not the same people. And so... Here's where Paul goes. He says, all right, if anybody preaches anything other than what I've preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, the very logical next question is, okay, wait a second. How do we know that you're the guy we should be listening to, right? If two people come and and have two conflicting messages, and one group of people say, Paul is obviously wrong, and Paul says, no, they're accursed. And we're supposed to say, we're supposed to make a judgment call. Right? Well, who, who do you want to go with? Right? Like how, how would you make that determination? And so what Paul's going to do here is Paul's going to give us the explanation of how he received the gospel. All right? So what we're going to do, we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 11, all the way to the end of chapter 2. I want us to read it as one chunk because I want us to sort of hear the entire story, and then we'll go back and we'll, we'll break it down a little bit. All right? But... Understand what Paul's doing is he's saying, okay, look, I just made a claim. I said, I'm teaching the real gospel, and if anybody else comes to you and they're teaching something different, they're teaching the false gospel. I made an absolute truth claim. Now I need to back it up. Here we go. All right? So chapter 1, verse 11. If you've got a digital Bible, I'm reading now the New King James Version. If you don't have a digital Bible, I'm still reading now the New King James Version. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Chapter 2. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Verse 6. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Verse 11, Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the flesh, law... No flesh shall be justified. Verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So that's a big chunk, but I want us to get it collectively to hear sort of the flow of what Paul's describing. Then as we're going back through it, it'll hopefully connect better for us, okay? So he says, listen, in verse 12, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, remember, in, in, in these opening lines, he made a truth claim, right? He said, the gospel that I preach is the real one. And so verse 12, he said, I didn't receive the gospel from men. I wasn't taught it. I, was, I, I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into his testimony. This is a part of Paul's testimony that he gives us, kind of like in the end of 2 Corinthians. He's giving it to us, for the health of the church, not to brag, but to say, hey, here's what you need to know about why I am actually qualified in this situation to speak, uh, to speak emphatically, to speak with, with power, to speak with authority, all right? So he says, okay, look, I was a Jew, 
I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries. I was like, I wasn't just a Jew. I wasn't just a good Jew. I was an awesome Jew. I was an epic Jew, right? Like I was, I was just pretty killer as a Jewish man, right? But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me, I didn't immediately, verse 16, confer with flesh and blood. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul says, okay, so I got saved, right? Paul had a, had a very dramatic conversion in the book of Acts where the Lord, you know, basically shone out from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord explains, and Paul goes in, he's, he's blinded for three days. He, you know, he receives the gospel. He's healed of his blindness. He's baptized. He becomes a Christian in a very dramatic fashion. And he says, what did I do after that? There was a little bit of ministry, and very quickly after that, Paul's uh, in the city of Damascus, and that's when the, he wound up having to get let down out of the city walls in a basket because they were trying to arrest him. But he says, I didn't, I didn't immediately just confer with flesh and blood. I didn't just jump into like, hey guys, what do I need to do, right? I went to Arabia and returned to Damascus. I went, I went out. I left. And sometimes, you know, Paul's like, hey, I'm saved. What's my ministry? My ministry is to be discipled by the Lord. Right? Hey, I'm ready to go. No, you're actually not. I'm the most qualified Jew in Jerusalem. Yeah, but you're still not, you, you know what? We got some growing to do. So he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Three years. Same amount of time that the disciples were with Jesus, Paul spent in the desert fellowshipping with Jesus, learning from the Lord, right? Being in the word, growing. Okay, Lord, who are you? What is the gospel? What is grace? Because, you know, Paul was the man who thought, if I just work hard enough, I can earn God's favor. And he gets, he gets that taken away from him. Okay, so it's not about how hard I can work. So then he's got to go back through all the word, through everything he knows about Jesus, through everything he's learned, and say, okay, for three years, just... What is this? Who is the Lord? And so then he goes up, hangs out with Peter for 15 days, and then he goes back into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Then it says chapter 2, then after 14 years. Now some people say, if it, it doesn't really matter, some people say it's just 14 years total, like 3 years and 11 years. Some people say it's like 3 years and 14 years. Who cares? Um, he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. So Paul's in Syria, in chapter 1, verse 21, he says he went into Syria. He's in Syria until Barnabas is at the church in Antioch and says, we got Gentiles coming to faith. I need, they need to get discipled. They need to learn the word. I need to find somebody who's really knowledgeable in the word. I'm going to go track down Paul. Wherever he's at, I'm going to find him and bring him to the church in Antioch. So Paul comes to the church in Antioch. And then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And he says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. This is an important verse. He says, okay, I went up to Jerusalem. I met with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and I explained to them the gospel that I preach. I said, basically, here's, I've been, I've been studying the word of God. I've been fellowshipping with Jesus Christ for 14 years now. Here's how I understand the grace of God. This is what I preach. This is what I teach. This is what I'm sharing across the world. 
And he says, I did it privately, lest I might have run or had run in vain. And in case they, you know, in case they say, you're nuts. I, th- you know, I figured maybe we should do this kind of quietly, right? Either for their sake or for my sake. And we can kind of look and, and if, I don't know if you're like me, maybe you're not. But I look and I think, man, what if it had been like a major disagreement? What if Paul had said, here's what I believe and Peter had said, that ain't right. Or Peter had said, this is what Jesus said and Paul said, that ain't right. And you know what the point is? It's not what happened. That's the point, right? Like when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, there was this, you know, like, well, what if they're changed? What if the, all the manuscripts we have are wrong? And you know what the answer is? They weren't. So sometimes we can be like, well, what would have happened? Who cares? The point is that the discipleship Paul received for three years in the desert is the same discipleship that Peter and the other 11 disciples received for three years with Jesus Christ. So he says, really, Titus wasn't even basically... Uh, this is all the contention that had happened. Verse 4, this occurred because of false brethren who were secretly brought in to whom we didn't yield submission for even an hour. He says, you know, basically when me and Peter get together, we realize, oh, there's false brethren telling me that Peter's not into this and, and I'm kind of glad that I never caved to him. You know, just a little bit of that like, yeah, I thought they were false. But verse 6, from those who seem to be something, he's saying from the leaders in the church, uh, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. I love Paul. He's like, so from the big shots, not that they were big shots, but you know, kind of, you know what I mean. From the big shots, not big shots. When they saw that the gospel for the circumcised, verse 7, had been committed, that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, then skip down a little bit, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they did circumcised. Paul goes up to Jerusalem after 14 years. He takes Barnabas. He takes Titus. He sits down with... Let's um, give a list. He sits down with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and says, okay, guys, here's what I've learned from Jesus Christ. Here's what I've learned from the Word. Here's what I'm preaching. And Peter says, that's pretty solid. That's what we're preaching here, too. In fact, it seems like maybe God is equipping you and calling you to go carry the message of grace to the Gentiles, and he's equipped us and is calling us to carry the message of grace to the Jewish people. So you know what let's do? Let's do it. Let's go for it. God has given you a specific ministry calling. Go for it. He's given us a specific ministry calling. We're going to go for it. Peter says, hey, this is awesome. We are sharing the same message. We have different callings. This is great. Go do what God is calling you to do. And he says, they desired only that we should remember the poor. He's like, hey, you know, be gracious. Don't forget poor people. Paul's like, totally on it. Let's roll, right? This is, this is, so it, this is important to understand because sometimes if you read, you know, you read the New Testament like, well, you know, Paul is all about grace and James is all about works and First John's all about works. No, 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 no. They're all about the same message. They're all comprehensively about the grace of God, the goodness of God, who God is, and what we should do as a response, right? If God has saved us, what's the appropriate way to say thank you? So Paul says, all right. So understand, this is, this is really important because Paul says, all right, listen, guys, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what I preached, he's accursed. And what I'm preaching to you is what I learned from Jesus Christ. It's the exact same thing that Peter learned from Jesus Christ. 
And he's saying this to a region of churches that are having believers from Jerusalem come in and say, hey, we're from Peter's church, right? We're from the Apostle James's church. We're from the real church. And we're just letting you know, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to get circumcised. There's some other laws that you really are just, I mean, God loves you. But if you want God to like you, there are some certain things you're just going to need to do. And Paul says, you understand this right now, churches. That ain't it, right? The gospel is the same across callings, across cultures, right? The methods of how we communicate the gospel. The individual people that we might be called to can be totally different. But the message is the same, right? The method can change. If you're called to reach bikers and punk rockers, it's probably going to be a different calling than if you're called to reach, you know, senators and Supreme Court judges. And it's probably going to be a different message, a different method than if you're called to reach college professors and it's going to be a different method than if you're called to reach upper caste people in India or lower caste people in India but the message is going to be exactly the same and that is you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to pull yourself out of that sin and Jesus Christ came to save you and to pull you out of that sin and he is offering you all of his righteousness all of his goodness and the fullness of fellowship with him all you have to do is receive it there's nothing you can do in fact to offer to do anything is an insult. That message stays the same, and Paul is really, really, really clear on this. And he's going to go through the rest of this book basically just emphasizing that point, that the grace of God is sufficient. And if you add to the grace of God, whatever you're left with at that point is not Christianity. If you say you need Jesus and whatever comes out of your mouth next is not Christianity. You need Jesus Christ. All right, so he goes on in verse 11. And he says, basically, he's just, he's being honest. He says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Paul's going to tell us about the time he had to rebuke Peter because Peter agrees with Paul at Jerusalem. You're absolutely right. We're only saved by grace. And then Peter showed up at Antioch and he was eating with the Gentiles until his Jewish buddies showed up. And then all of a sudden he's not. And imagine Paul, right? Like we're having a, you know, having a line. You go through the line, you get to the tables, and it's just, you know, hey, sit wherever you can find a seat, and that's cool, and we'll all just hang out. And then all of a sudden, this group of guys come from Jerusalem, and Paul walks through the line, gets his plate, gets ready to sit down, and realizes we got Jewish tables and Gentile tables. Like, it just kind of happened. We just split the room in half. And Peter's over here hanging out with the Jewish tables. So Paul sets down his plate. He says, hey, Peter, I need to talk to you. He was fearing those of the circumcision. So verse 14, he says, I saw they weren't straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Peter's got this idea like, well, you know, maybe I'll be just, gosh dang it. Uh, you know, I'm just going to, it would be nice if they were circumcised, right? It would just make everything a little more socially comfortable for us and probably not for them. Um, but, you know, it would, it would just be, hey, if we could kind of, I'm going to hang with my Jewish friends tonight, okay? Is that cool? Like, they're just a little bit clean. It's, it's cool. I'm just going to, you know, it's a comfortable group of Christians, right? I'm just, these are my people. Paul says, hey, Peter, you're a Jew, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you live in a manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, right? You believe that grace is the only way we're saved and 
adding to the law isn't going to do anything to make you holy. Right, right, right. That's what I thought. So why are you compelling Gentiles to live as Jews? And from the implication, it's like right in the middle of dinner, right? I mean, it's, if I'm Peter right now, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, would he shut up? Um, But he says, hey, look, we who are Jews by nature, verse 15, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. This is Peter. You do know, right, that there's not a clean side of the room and an unclean side of the room. The Jewish people are not more holy than the Gentile people if they've all accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You do understand that, right, Peter? You do understand that you and me are both Jews. We have both tried to live out the law, right? We have both, better than most people in this room here, Peter, we understand trying to earn God's favor. And even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You know this, Peter. I know this, Peter. Hey, by the works of the law, hanging out with clean people, quote-unquote, isn't going to do you anything. Acting righteous isn't going to make you any more respected in the eyes of God. Paul says, no, no, no. We already had this discussion in Jerusalem. We know that grace is sufficient on its own. And so if you are adding external behavior to make yourself look more holy or feel more holy or make you feel like God likes you more, then all you're doing is just confusing the entire situation. Right? This whole book is going to be about grace, about the fact that God saved you and there's nothing else you can do to add to it. You can't make God's salvation any better, any fuller, any more sufficient than it already is. And anytime you try to add to that, all you're doing is setting yourself up for a lifetime of frustration. Because once you understand that you've got to try, exactly how much trying do you have to do? If the standard is perfection, uh, trying is a, is a pain, right? Trying is actually not the appropriate word. If the standard is perfection, it's a pass-fail test. And so you trying is saying you failing, right? You trying means you're not always there, which means you're a failure. Congratulations, right? Uh, If you're trying to be righteous, you're not. And the only hope of righteousness is to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to receive your righteousness. So that's what Paul's saying to Peter. He says, we believed, verse 16, we've believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ. Justified, made just by what? By faith in Christ. By believing in what Jesus has done and not by the works of the law, not by rules. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Last paragraph. He says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? This is an important question. If, hey, so okay, we understand that we're only saved by grace. Got it. We also understand, we've talked about this all year long. We talked about it in Romans, talked about it in 1 Corinthians, I think we talked about it in 2 Corinthians. Uh, There's nothing you can do to add to the grace. There is an appropriate response. Romans 12 talks about this is your reasonable service, which is what? In light of the first 11 chapters of Romans, 
chapter 12, verse 1. Here's your reasonable service. Here's something reasonable for you to do for everything God has done. And that is basically say thanks and don't be an idiot, right? So if you're saying, hey, I'm recognizing the grace of God. I'm seeking to be justified by faith. And therefore, I'm trying to not walk in sin. I don't want to walk in sin, not to earn points, but to show appreciation. I'll still sin. So does that mean that the gospel isn't good enough? Does that make Christ a minister of sin? Does it mean... Boy, what Jesus is, is really close, but not quite, and that's why I need to try a little harder. Certainly not, Paul says. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If you're sinning as a Christian, it doesn't mean that Jesus failed. It means that you failed. It means you're not good enough, right? So when you sin as a Christian, it's not, it, it basically is two things. It doesn't mean that Jesus is insufficient. It also doesn't mean that you are now incapable of being saved it means what you need to do instead of saying oh my gosh i gotta try harder it's oh my gosh i need to rely on the grace of god more and this is you know sometimes when we are struggling with a sin we can sort of we can focus on the sin and we can take all of our attention and just put it on the sin like oh my gosh okay i am not going to think about this anymore what are you not going to think about this it's, I, I just, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally not going to think about it, how it would feel if I were to sin like this. I mean, I know it would be a lot of fun, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to even think about how much pleasure, boy, that would be a lot of fun. Whew, wow. Okay, I'm not going to think about this. I know this is bad. Wow, this is really bad. Can you imagine, like, how bad exactly is this anyways? You can just focus in on your sin, and all you usually wind up doing is just walking in defeat at that point. Or you can focus on Christ. You know, I can, I can zero on this sin. And all, you, know, you just kind of are, you're sliding downward. Your head is going down. Your body is going down. Sooner or later, you're just falling, right? Or you open up and you look up. Wow. Look at who Christ is. Look at what he's done. Look at the vastness of what he's made. Look at the promises he's made me about eternity. Look at the promises he's made me about the gift of his Holy Spirit for right now. Look at the richness of his word to speak to my heart. Wow. I get the privilege to fellowship with God now in a, in a kind of a restricted way or a limited way because I'm still, you know, I'm still not there yet. I'm still struggling with this. But boy, the heck with that. Uh, the heck with this sin. Let's keep looking at Jesus Christ. And what happens? Your perspective aligns a lot more appropriately, right? If you try to not sin I'm not saying don't try to not sin. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying try to sin. But if your whole perspective becomes just zeroing in on the sin, all you're going to do is just shut yourself off. And you're going to just find yourself trapped. If your perspective is, I want to focus on what Christ has done, then all of a sudden the sin is just not nearly as tempting. Right? Sin, the act of sin, is a loss of perspective. That's all it is, really. Right? It, it, it's I refuse to see or I am making myself incapable of seeing how significant the rest of life is and I'm zeroing in on this I mean you think about just um, you know political leaders or people in places of prominence who throw away a reputation and a lifetime and a family for what's going to come down to a few minutes of pleasure you know a few dollars here and there like, I mean, just what is, you know, the, the overall act is so worthless. 
in the grand scheme of things. But gosh dang it, we'll just throw everything away. Why? Because we have lost perspective. You focus on sin, you lose perspective. You focus on Christ, and your perspective broadens. It's bigger. It's more, right? You will be more alive by focusing on Christ. So he says, okay, listen. Yeah, if I sin, it's not because Christ is insufficient. It's because I need to keep focusing on Christ. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is such an important verse. Who loved me and gave himself with me. I have been crucified with Christ. If you're a Christian, you are not an improved person. You are a new person. Right? Christianity talks about the old man and the new man. Why? Because you are two different people. There's an old you, and if you have become a Christian, the old you is dead. It has been crucified with Christ. When we, when we, have, the, you know, we have baptism, we're going to have one in a month. When we have a baptism, we're not symbolizing washing you off. We're symbolizing that the old you drowned. Right? It is there in the bottom of that thing. Like the dirt is in the bottom of it when you get out. Right? It's not, it's not oh, hey, we're, we, don't, we don't dip you in the water and then scrub you. We dip you and pull you back out. And it could sometimes be tempting just to hold you down for just a little bit longer. But you're going to go down and back up. There's no soap involved. Why? Because we're not talking about cleaning you up. We're talking about leaving a dead man in the water. And a new man's coming out. Right? There's a new life. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, your sins were on the cross with him. Right? Every sin you ever have committed... Every sin you ever will commit was there on the cross. And when he was bleeding out and suffocating out, your sins were there killing him. And he took them, and so now they're paid for, and there's nothing left to pay for. And so there's also nothing left worth sinning for. I've been crucified with Christ. And so I'm a new person, so I don't have to walk in sin. This is what's interesting. This book is all about grace. Okay, Galatians is all about grace. But what sometimes happens is people want to say, oh, grace is awesome, now I can do whatever I want. Paul, when Paul starts talking about grace, inevitably, always, all the time, goes into here's what you do in response to grace. Paul's adamant. If you try and do one thing to make God approve of you more, that's not a Christianity. That's a false gospel. But don't you dare think, Paul will say, that that means you can do whatever you want. The grace of God is not freedom to walk in sin. It's the freedom to not have to walk in sin. If you're not saved, you are stuck. You have to sin. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a part of who you are. It's a part of your soul. If you're saved, you've been crucified with Christ. That old man is dead. So he says, I'm the life that I live. So the old man died when Christ died on the cross. The new man came to life when Christ rose again on Easter morning. Right? Right? That's when you came alive. And so, yes, you'll still struggle. Because you're still, while he says, this life I now live in the flesh, the life, you know, we're still, hey, still flesh and bone, right? This life that we're living, we live by faith in the Son of God. We're believing in what Jesus Christ did. We're believing that it's sufficient. 
And because we believe it's sufficient, we believe that we don't have to be stuck in sin. We don't have to stay where we were. We don't have to be the old man. Because we are walking by faith, we are walking in life. And so, verse 21, he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. He's just, he's going to be back and forth, this whole book, not back and forth in a contradiction, back and forth in a paradox. Which is, hey, grace of God is all you've got to hang on. Hey, the only appropriate way to respond to grace is to walk in righteousness. You're never walking in righteousness to earn grace. You're walking in righteousness because you've received grace. So he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you ever say, you need Jesus and, you need to do this thing to make God like you more, then what you're saying, in essence, understand this, is that Jesus' death was actually a waste. If Jesus was like, 90% 90% of the way there, that is a really cruel trick for God the Father to play on his son. Right? It was like, ha-ha, close, but not quite. That's, that's what you're saying if you say, I need Jesus Christ and something else. You're saying what God did was a good effort, but God just really didn't know what he was doing. He was most of the way there. He needs my awesomeness to step in and finish the job. And if that's true, then Jesus' death was a waste. Because if you're that awesome, Jesus didn't have to die in the first place. So he says, I don't set aside the grace of God because if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. So what are we going to do? We're going to cling to the grace of God. We're going to hold fast. We're going to anchor our lives around the truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners, among whom I am chief, Paul says. That his salvation is offered freely to every single one of us. And that with the salvation... Of our souls eternally comes the power to live life here in our fleshly bodies by the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, Romans 12, this is our reasonable service. What do we do? I want to walk in righteousness. I don't want to walk in righteousness to make God like me. I want to walk in righteousness because I've been given an encounter with a righteous God. And I want to get as close to him as I can. And so I don't want to have anything in my life that's going to put distance between me and him. Right? Because I've been given the invitation to approach the throne of God, I want to approach the throne of God. Grace is not freedom to sin, it's the freedom to not sin. So, Paul says, here's my statement, here's my claim to authority, you better hang on to grace, because you got nothing else on your own. And by the way, Peter needed to shape up. Escalations 1 and 2, alright? Next week, and the week after that, we're just going to keep diving in uh, deeper, Paul's going to go into all, he's going to contrast the law and the gospel and point out that there's nothing wrong with the law, but the, the problem is that we aren't good enough to keep the law. And so it's just going to be uh, just incredible chapters, incredible truths that are so relevant and so powerful in freeing us to respond to what God has done. So Lord, we are thankful for the gift of your grace. God, we can't even comprehend the depth of what it is, the fullness that you are offering us the righteousness of Christ. You're taking away our sins. You're not hiding them. You're taking them away. And that we can come into your presence, that we can have the promise and assurance of eternal life and the gift of your Holy Spirit right now to fill us with your power, to let us walk in your spirit, to walk in your grace. And God, we never want to abuse your gifts. They're, they're amazing. We want to just 
just receive them uh, in humility. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand in grace, to stand. There's, there's a boldness in knowing that you have saved us. And there's also an absolute humility in knowing that we are not worth saving. And yet you tell us to, to do both. We are your children and we are redeemed. And so we thank you for that. We pray that you would give us your power to go out to live righteous lives so that we can fellowship with you more fully as a response to what you've already done for us. And we just ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.